I'm Adam Arrington, and you're listening to the Golden Mike Podcast. He's been the voice of wakeboarding for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated Toad Water Sports' biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years on the water experience, charisma, and command of his audience, Noise of the North brings you the Golden Mike Podcast with Dano the Mano. Welcome, everybody, to the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano. We're coming at you from Orlando, Florida, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. This podcast is based off the lake life. My passion for toad water sports and the athletes who have helped sculpt the landscape of the sport we love. Twice a month, I'm chatting it up with the industry's top names, past and present, the riders, and the people behind the scenes who make this world on the water spin. The Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you for free on the first and third Wednesday of each and every month, both on iTunes and at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, Woodrow's, Hydra Fenders, Jammy Pack, Performance Ski and Surf, Hungry Boards, SUP, Sea Deck Marine Products, and Go Puck. Be sure to check out the sponsor link on noiseofthenorth.com to help support and to find special offers and deals from the people who helped me make this show happen. If you haven't subscribed to the Golden Mike Podcast free on iTunes, please do, and don't forget to rate and review the show. Follow me on Instagram at Dano T. Mano and on Twitter at the Dano T. Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike. Feel free to contact me with any questions or comments through the Golden Mike Facebook page or email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. Very special episode this time. Well, guys, I'm moving. I'm going to be staying in the central Florida area, but will no longer be operating out of the mini mansion here in Dr. Phillips, unfortunately. Fortunately, I have a great guest, a good friend, Easy e the A-Train, the Sandhill Crane, the Wakeboarder's Wakeboarder, all these nicknames and maybe even some more I'm missing, but Adam Arrington is here to sit down with me and discuss his career and journey as a pro rider. I've known Adam since he was in junior high, a kid at the cable, a kid who would ride every day for hours, aspiring to be the best and to one day become a pro rider. His dreams came true, and now he's surely recognized at every wakeboard contest he attends. He's got a ton of hardware to show for all the hard work, too. He's a fun, good-hearted human being who comes from an amazing family, and his proper upbringing shines through in his kindness and generosity. I have some solid questions lined up, and hopefully some even more solid conversation, and you'll all get to hear it soon right here with my guest, Adam Arrington, following a quick sponsor love plug here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Woodrow's is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and a love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrow's handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Follow Woodrow's on Instagram at Woodrow's or check them out online at Woodrow's.com. That's W-O-O-D-R-O-Z-E.com. Adam Arrington, welcome to the Mini Mansion, my friend. Yeah, it's good to be here, Dana. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming out here. It's a, a, a very special night. It's the 
the final episode recorded here at at this location. It's been a a legendary location for me in my life. I've been living here for the last five years. I think you may or may not have been uh, to uh, to Mikasa a couple of times. Yeah, I've been I've been here, you know, before. But it's uh it's a pleasure and honor to to round out the final podcast here. I, I wasn't aware of that until tonight. So thanks for. Uh making me the final one yeah man well not the final episode in of all time in, in, the in the mini mansion <laughs> exactly exactly man i don't think i've seen you since since worlds adam uh what's what's been new with you what you been up to yeah you know yeah worlds was good we got to hang out there quite a bit but it was uh after, that was kind of the last trip of the year for me it was good to get home after that after a long season of traveling and you know contest obligations and sponsors stuffs and uh, contest events and everything that uh, wakeboarding entails. But since then, you know, just been good to be home, enjoying the uh, lovely Orlando fall weather um, and just, you know, riding at home and hanging with family. Yeah. it's How's the fall been for you? It's been a little bit windy out here, right? I know, man. I mean, you never know with Florida, right? But uh, the, the weather's been hit or miss right now. It's been a little, a little rainy, a little windy the past couple of days. But uh, fortunately enough, there's some good, you know, living on the water. There's some uh, solid hours where you can get a quick set in here or there so it's been good it's nice and relaxing cool have you been riding yeah yeah i've been riding quite a bit i've uh definitely not as much as normal in in the heat of the summer or in spring or winter or whatnot but uh it's always nice after the the contest season when everything kind of calms down to just take a little calm down self session for yourself as well you know it's nice to have a little time off and you know, ride, stay, stay in it, stay healthy, but uh, also to have a little bit of downtime. Yeah, a little break. You you earned it. Absolutely. Thank you. So what did you think of the WWA and World, Worlds in Portugal this year? That was fun. I loved it. I mean, you know, it's it's funny because like living in Orlando, you get so stuck in the, in the fact that it's just, there's so much going on in Orlando. There's so much wakeboard, you know, things going on in Orlando. It's so revolved around wakeboarding here, but uh, it, it's important, I think, to get out there and get around the world. And I mean, it was the world championship. So to take it somewhere out of the U S finally for, I mean, it's been a few years since they've gone out of the U S to finally take the WWE worlds, uh, to somewhere so untouched as, as Portugal, as far as U S riders have, have seen, you know, so it was a, I think it was incredible and it was a, a great atmosphere out there. You know, I didn't realize what, a um, a big impact wakeboarding has in Portugal and, and how, you know, dedicated there are some riders out there and that, that lake itself, uh, like uh, Azul, was it? A Lago Azul? Was Something like that. I think that was the name of the... Um, I actually think that was the name of the, the resort. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can't quite remember the name of the lake either. A lot of lakes. Right. But I mean, the fact they were just... They were putting cables up and, you know, they were dedicated to the sport. So it was cool. Well, they say that Portugal is basically like the central Florida of Europe for, right. for toad water sports. I guess for wakeboarding, it's huge. It's the go-to spot. And I talked to a bunch of people guys from England and stuff, and they say, like, that's where they go on vacation. Nice. And it's known for surfing, too. I think there were some waves out there in Portugal. All yeah, we, there we, too. we were there for enough time to be able to get away from the contest for a little bit, and uh, we went out to uh, Sean Watson, Sean Dishman, and myself, and Rodrigo, the photographer, got to nip out to um, Nazare, I believe it's pronounced, but it's, um, you know, about an hour or so drive from where we were staying. And uh, it's just known for some of the biggest surf in the world that comes through there. And it definitely wasn't the biggest surf in the world while we were there, but you can see that how it could be. And it, it was big though. It wasn't was still it? big for sure. I wouldn't have gotten in the water. No way. But it was I fun. Think, I think uh, JD Webb and Noah Flegel went. I'm that sure they did. Okay, I'm, sure, I'm sure Noah did for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was it was, it was pretty cool, man. There was a there was a great uh, event uh, in Portugal, and I hope we get to go back. I think it was really neat this last season getting to go to all the different international spots with the World Wakeboard Association. Compared to what we're we're sort of used to, and you know, this was my tenth year wow. announcing the world championships, wow. and 
yeah, my first time uh, announcing the world championships in a different country. Right. That was that's cool. I mean, that's what I'm was saying. It's awesome that you know the WWA teamed up with such a cool site, such as uh, the one in Portugal. So I was pumped to be there. Absolutely. Well, Adam, let's let's talk about how you got started in wakeboarding. Um, I you know I remember meeting you back around 2003, 2004 as a young rider out at OWC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so how exactly did you did you kind of get started there? Because I, I don't think that your family is not like, like your dad was never a pro, your mom was never a pro, like skier or anything like that. So how like how did you find out about the sport? Yeah, it's, it's I kind of have an untraditional uh entrance into the sport really i mean a lot of the the main guys that are that are out there today or that that paid the path and that still are paid in the path kind of grew up with either a water ski background or some sort of you know water sports background and and starting at a young age um for myself uh i i didn't really know anything thing about it you know i grew up on a lake um here in orlando with my family but we never had a boat uh it was just a jet ski and uh we just kind of did some kneeboarding and some tubing it was never even skiing or like standing up or anything to do with you know what would kind of bridge you into wakeboarding it was just kind of tubing which is funny but um uh it just took one summer uh, i believe i was 13 and a buddy of mine took me to owc and uh you know i didn't even know what it was but he was like hey i'm taking you wakeboarding we're going to the cable park so i went and obviously it was the big cable i wasn't hitting jumps or rails or anything i was just getting around but uh got up right away and was, you know, doing laps and I, and I liked it, but I don't even, I didn't even know what it was. I was just doing circles at the cable and I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then from there, things kind of escalated pretty quickly. I spent the entire summer. It was like, that was like the first day of summer break for me that I did that. So I had the entire summer and that's all I wanted to do. Um, I was 13 year old kid and that's all I wanted to do. And I think it was maybe two weeks in of doing that. My mom got me a, a board from performance that was there the, the local board shop that was right there my mom got me a board and uh after that it was just every day i was at the cable until you know i was a full-blown cable rat that's that's all i did um and it was a solid year i think it was till like the next summer i rode the cable pr- as much as i could and all i did was cable I never rode the boat um and mike Ferrar used to have a camp there it was called mike's place it was at bc and at this point i was hitting jumps and hitting rails and you know, I think I could do like a tantrum and a 360 and stuff, but all, again, like still not really knowing what I was doing. It was all just stuff that I thought, hey, this is fun. Let me try to do a flip. I didn't know I was doing a tantrum. And uh, Mike Ferraro, I guess, talked to my parents one day and said, hey, I'd like to take him on the boat and give him some coaching. So it was funny because the first boat set I had was with Ferraro was like a Thursday before, I think it was the national championships, whatever would have been that year. Um and Mike was like, hey, your your, ki- your kid's pretty good. He picks things up really easily. You should enter him in this contest and see how he does. And it was my first contest ever. And I was in, I, I was boys division. And I remember on the dock sitting there and I, and JD Webb walked up to me and I didn't have fins on my board because all I was a cable rat. All I did was, you know, surface through 60s and hit sliders. And, you know, it was, that was what I was doing. And uh, I think I could do a tantrum, a back roll and a 360 on the boat. Like I just transferred everything from the cable that I could do straight to the boat, that one boat set with Mike. And JD walked up to me and I remember him, I don't know who he was with, but they were fully making fun of me that I had no fins on. You know, at that point in time, everyone had like the rainbow skegs on their boards and it was like hardcore, you know, wakeboarding. And I was just like, uh, I had no idea. And I didn't, I don't think I advanced through the event or or whatever, but you know, I had fun. And from then that kind of introduced me to the boat side of things. And I started taking things more seriously. I got, got a set of fins and started riding with Ferraro and 
uh, yeah, the rest is history, I guess. You know, at that time, you're still riding the uh, the boat. You're riding the boat. You're riding the cable a exactly. ton. But 2003, 2004, even in the 2005 uh, time period, I know I've said this before on the podcast. We never looked at cable uh, that it would go in the direction that it, it, it's, that it has gone in and that it would get to be as big as it is. And it's always kind of been mind blowing to me knowing that you got your start on the cable, but you are more recognized as a boat rider. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel like you, you should have just stuck with the whole cable thing or what? You know, I, I, I don't because I, I consider myself kind of like a 50, 50 rider when it comes to what I like, you know, what I like the cable 50% of my riding and I like boat. Like I like to switch back and forth. And like you said, I'd go to the cable and back in the day and I would, I would, I would warm up on the cable for my boat set. That was what I would do. I'd go and rip some laps and just warm up. The features are nowhere near what they are today, what they were back. You know, what they were then is nothing compared to what they are today. Yeah, correct. And, and it's even, it's funny too, because so I, I would do that, go on the boat, take my boat set, and then just go play at the cable for the rest of the day. And I remember Mike was always like, you need to learn air tricks. You need to learn air tricks. Like cable is going to be big. But the way he saw cable being big was air tricks, whereas all I wanted to do was hit kickers and hit rails and, and whatnot. And he was like, you, why are you wasting your time? You need to learn air tricks. That's the next big thing, you know. And in the meantime, I was just kind of playing for fun on the cable and then taking boats seriously. So it's just funny to see where, where things end up. Well, you know, the cable was more of just something to do when you didn't have a boat driver, just something to keep your muscles, you know, just to keep building and, and stuff. And it, yeah, like I said, I mean, it was just never something that we looked at that was going to be a serious like aspect of our sport. So it's, it's just crazy how far it's really, really come. And, you know, you're still a pretty natural guy and every now and then we'll see you in a cable event, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I did a few events this year in, uh, in Europe, uh, some cable events and just with the, I think the fact of having the Ronix Lake at my, um, disposure now with innovative bi-level gaps and the way that the, you know, system two is being, letting us do what we do, you know? So, um, I, I did a couple of events this year and I, I, like I said, I really, really enjoy hitting rails, hitting kickers. It's always been a, you know, one of my favorite things to do. So it's hard to tell from your accent, but you were actually born in Scotland and you lived there for a while before moving to the U.S., right? Yeah, I would, I would have been about four or five years old when we, when we moved to Orlando, of all places. So why did you guys, why did you guys move to the U.S.? Uh, we, my sister and I and my mom and dad grew up in a very small fishing village up in really high North Highlands of Scotland um, with, with really not much opportunity outside of fishing or diving um, or construction. So it was... Originally, my parents just wanted a better life for my sister and I, and um, we're just so happy enough. We're lucky to, my parents visited Orlando on a vacation and fell in love with it. They were actually wanting to move to California, was original plan, but uh, just before they moved, they did a trip to Orlando, did a whole Disney thing, and then went to the Florida Keys, and then they were, that's it. We're getting a place in, in Orlando, so. And your dad, your dad does some pretty interesting stuff, too, for work, right? We, we were talking a little bit about mm-hmm. it before we got on the, the microphone here, and I know that... We've talked a little bit about it in the past also. I, I don't really know all the details, but your dad's like a like a super, super deep, deep sea diver, right? Yeah, yeah. Saturation diving. So it's uh, really deep sea diving um, in the oil industry. And he'll be down underwater for... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's about 28 days. So they'd have two shifts of, of guys that alternate. Um, I think it was like six hours on and off in and out of the water. Um, and 
it's all pressurized saturation diving. So they're, you know, they're, they're at that depth and at it, that but pressure. But it takes for, them days to get down to. Not to get down, not to get at the pressure, but to, to decompress, to come back up. They have to do it really, really slowly. Basically easing you back up to surface pressure is what it is. So doing that without getting the bends is, is the trick. So that's so why you, it takes so long. So do you do any diving yourself? Just recreationally. Nothing, uh, nothing like my dad for sure. All right, well, let's let's get back to a little bit about wakeboarding here. So you talked about Mike Ferraro. How did you guys get linked up? And and for the listeners, you know, we talk about Mike Ferraro a lot on the, the podcast. You know, Mike Ferraro, a guy who's pretty much known as the world's greatest coach. I mm-hmm. mean, the best riders, guys all the way back to Darren Shapiro have, have gone through the tutelage of, of Mike Ferraro. So usually if, if you spend time with Mike, you're pretty, you, it's a good chance you've, you've got a good career ahead of yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said before, I started riding with him at a pretty young age and I was, you know, I was still at a point where I wasn't, you know, I wasn't aware that I could have a career in wakeboarding. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'd been riding, like I said, it was a year, I'd been a year in and at this point only done cable and it was all simply what I could conjure in my own head. I had no, you know, past experience, whether it was skiing or, or, or anything like that. So I had, I had no one telling me what to do. I had no one say, Hey, try this, do that. I was just simply whatever I was feeling at that, that point in my life, I was doing it. So Mike takes me on as a student and I started riding with him and I, I, I didn't really like it. You know, at first I was kind of like, you know, this is, this is not what I want to do. I'm just, you know, I'm having fun. This doesn't really seem that fun. I'd rather go to the cable and stuff. And I started to, you know, um, progress pretty quickly. And I think that was all due to riding the cable and having that like foundation. So when I started progressing quickly on the boat, it, it then became really fun. Cause I was like, Oh, hold on here. I've just learned three tricks in one day kind of thing. Like what, what else can I do? How can I, and then I started working pretty heavily with Mike and entering contests. And, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely did all the gravel tour performance events. And then that bridged me into WWA events. Like I was riding in the boys division at nationals and worlds. Obviously I wasn't on the pro tour back then, but, uh, started doing pretty well at a young age in those contests. And it, it became like a game to see how, you know, how much I could progress, whether it was that day or that week, I'd set goals. And Did you know, like as a young, as a young ripper, you know, in like those, those earlier days, you know, even before you went junior pro, did you know that you wanted to be a pro rider? Well, I think it was like right in that transition of when I was riding with Mike, but I didn't really like it. And then I started liking it because I started getting good. And, and I, I, it was, it was in that time that I, and I, I was learning everything about the, I started like wanting to learn about it. You know, at first I was, I didn't care what board I was on and I didn't care what pro rider there was. I I didn't even really know. I just, I didn't know that there was a career out of it. So once I started to learn and get more knowledge about it, I was like, hold on here. You can, you know, not only can I um, have a career out of this, but I I mean, I can be one of these guys and I can have my own board and it's possible, you know? So talking about these guys, who were some of those guys that you, you were looking up to that you aspired to be like? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, there's the the Danny Harf and the Parks Bonifay, like that kind of group of guys. Um, it's really funny, actually, because I grew up on the same street as Sean Murray, and I didn't know he was a pro wakeboarder, and I had just started wakeboarding, and one of my buddies lived next door to him, and we'd always go over there and play video games, and I thought that he was like a skier or a tuber or something. I didn't really know. You know, he always had... This is back when, like, Murray was doing, um, like he was doing the backyard tour and he had all these like motocross guys over and BMX guys and he had like jumps in his backyard and stuff. So I wasn't really sure what he did, but I would hang out with him as this young, you know, 13, 14 year old kid. And then I realized who he was and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is this like legendary guy I, I've been hanging out with and I had no idea. But 
Um, once I really started to realize who it was, there was, you know, Sean Murray, Jerry Nunn were big influences on me. Um, I used to ride with them. They both lived next door to each other and I grew up very close to them. So that was who I was riding with. I didn't have a boat, so I was riding with them. Um, and then Parks Bonifay has always been, you know, my favorite wakeboarder. So I would say those three were probably the heaviest influence on me. Did you watch a lot of wakeboard videos uh, growing up? Um, I, you know, I, I got into it for sure, but I, I didn't, I obviously wasn't around when all those were, were made and I wasn't like keeping up with them. But when, when the videos would come out, I was definitely watching them and, and trying to like do research and learn new tricks and see what those guys were doing. What are some of the, like the, if you can remember, what are like some of the first videos that you watched that you started um, getting inspired by? Yeah, it was like a uh, six pack. Um, and, uh, it's, it's slipping my mind. Um, I mean, I could start throwing them out there, but do it. <laughs> you know, like twelve honkies. I would assume. Well, I remember I, we used I, to play twelve honkies in the shop all the time. You'd be hanging out in. Right, but I mean, back then, I still, I don't think I like knew the name of the video. I think it was. I remember spending time. I would sit on the counter in performance when you were there, obviously, and I remember just watching videos, but I wasn't aware of what was on. It was just, you know, trying to stay with the guys that were riding and see what they were doing and whatnot. It was that was fun. Sure. Well. Adam, you're a guy who's been involved with product development since your days as a, a junior rider. And you started with Hyperlite with the state board, and you've gone on to to have your own numerous amount of pro models with Ronix. How involved with the designs are you now? Yeah, definitely. Um, fully, fully uh, involved with the R and D of the board. You know, it's it's probably one of my favorite things nowadays. Being an experienced rider is, is going through that process. You know, it's, it's, it's so cool to work with a shaper and talk back and forth about what we both want, what we both think would work and what I want and what he thinks if that will work or, or work or will not work. Um, and then to all of a sudden have a prototype and maybe it's the worst thing you've ever written. You know, you, you might've thought in your head, this so is, has that happened to uh, you before? Oh yeah, for sure. You think, Oh, this is going to be great. Like I've, we we clicked on everything. It's perfect. Like this is going to be such a good board, and you get it. And maybe you like one thing about it, but the like rest the graphic. Like, well, no, I mean those <laughs> the prototypes will just be like a foam board or whatever. But you might like the way it carves, you know. And then you go from there, and you can just nitpick the board until it's perfect. So, so how many pro models have you had now with Ronix? Um, I guess it would have been. This is this is the fourth year with the Bill, um, the William as well would be two years in. Um, gosh, I don't even know how many pro models it's been, but it started with the Frontier, but I didn't actually go through the design process of that. I just was riding that board. Um, and was that one actually your signature board, uh, the Frontier, or it, just it, kind of the it, board they gave you to ride? Kind of just like a team board that I was I marketed, I guess. Right. Um, and then it went to the Kaimana, and then it was the Hello, My Name is Collection with the Bill and the William. So, And it's been four years with the Bill and two with the William. Wow. It's, it's, it's just insane to yeah. think about how long Ronix has actually been around. And we're going to talk about it as we, as we move forward a little bit, but how long you've actually been with the, mm -hmm. with the team, mm -hmm. uh, you know, talking about Ronix when the brand came about, uh, roughly a decade plus ago, you you were, you're still a pretty young guy. I mean, still considered maybe a Grom at the time. And, For sure. you know, to me, it always seemed like you were handpicked by Parks and Danny Harf and Chad Sharp. I mean, some of the guys that that you looked up to. I mean, um, you're the youngest member on the team. What was that like? Yeah, it was, that was truly amazing. You know, that was kind of like the, the turning point of, of my career of when I was kind of like, wow, this is this, it, some, it was like the most meaningful thing that had happened. You know, I'd been doing really good in juniors. Um, and I, 
I kind of, I had hype, but I didn't have any like mainline sponsors or anything, you know, and I didn't even really have offers. I was kind of just the fact that I rode with Ferraro, I was riding Hyperlite because he was with Hyperlite then. And I was just on that board and it was even hard for me to get boards, but I was winning like every junior contest, but I still could, I had to like ask Mike Ferraro for a board and he'd be like, oh, I'll see what I can do kind of thing. So it was, it was kind of like this weird point for me in my career because I was confused and I didn't really, you know, I was pretty standoffish too. I wasn't like approaching people and like demanding. Well, you were still a young guy. Yeah, young. And I wasn't, but I wasn't like demanding things, but I was kind of frustrated. Um, and then all of a sudden I sat and talked with Paul and, you know, he explained to me, um, you know, the change that he, him and him and his dad were, were going to do and Ronix and told me the whole story and, uh, you know, what the team was going to be and that they wanted me a part of it and that they had had that conversation with, within themselves before talking to me, you know, like it wasn't like, Hey, we're, you just came up. Like they'd, they'd been in, in talks before. So that was like super meaningful to me. When they started the team, I mean, it was, there was Emily was the girl. Mm -hmm. You had Parks, the legend, you had Danny, the man, you had Chad Sharp, the veteran, you know, like, like the team was just very well put together and you were kind of the young gun. I mean, you were the next big thing and at the same time, it, it was almost like you were being mentored by a lot of those uh, those names, the top names, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, obviously at this point in my career, I, I, I was looking up to those guys. Um, Parks, more than anything, um, had always been like my favorite rider, you know, so to have him involved. And then Danny, obviously the, the super legend, and Chad, who was just, in my eyes, seemed so extreme compared to any like like everything he would do I was like intimidated by so he was like the most extreme like aggressive rider that so it was like you said a super well-balanced team and the fact that um these guys had picked me as this such an elite team you know like you said every base was covered and for room for one kind of up-and-coming junior guy they picked me I was blown away I mean you were probably like 18 19 when Ronick started right um 10 years ago now so I would have been 17 so 17 years old and you start probably traveling around with the likes of Parks and Danny and Chad mm -hmm. and uh, getting to go up to Lake Aronix with the boys. Uh, you're starting to travel without your parents. Mm -hmm. Just off the top of your head, any any uh, crazy, you know, early day stories you can think of? It would have, it would have to be um, radar. Uh, obviously, that's kind of every up and coming wakeboarder's like dream place to visit, whether you you know, whether you ride a Ronix board or back then a Hyperlite board or whatever board you ride, you, everyone wants to go there. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You want to go to Radar Lake. Um, so that was always my dream to go there. And then now the fact that, you know, this new company Square One has started and I'm part of Ronix and all the boys are taking me up there and it's just incredible. You've been there yourself, you know, I mean, any, any campfire story is hilarious and just, uh, it's just a good time. You can't have a bad time there. Oh, and I can I can attest for that. I've been there uh, a, f a few times. You were there my first time. I think I went and opened the gate for you and walked you in. Yeah, I, you got dropped off. I went and got you. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah, I did. I think you and and if I can remember correctly to that particular day, you were working on your mustache at the time, and I think you used to darken it up with a little mascara. And I'm sorry if I'm giving away your secret. No, that's a good tip. Any any young kids out there listening, if you got you know a semi good mustache, just touch it up a little bit with a little mascara. It'll look a lot better. By way, but and and. By by that you mean if you have peach fuzz on the top of your <laughs> lip, put some mascara in it. It can't hurt. It can't be worse. <laughs> GoPuck is a mountable, compact, durable, and portable rapid charging battery. 
GoPuck allows you to stay connected, capture priceless moments, and enjoy mobile freedom. Check out their website, gopuck.com. Be sure to use my promo code, MANO2015, M-A-N-O-2015, and you'll get an extra 10% off your entire order. Hey, let's talk about competition. Yeah. You broke into pro riding in 2007, your rookie year, and you had a you obviously had a pretty solid career as a junior pro. You'd mentioned that you uh, took some some big wins as a junior. Who were some of the guys you were competing with as a junior that broke into pro with you around 2007 that are still around? Yeah, it was a, there was a good group of us. You know, it was like it was pretty much every contest in juniors. It was like me, Rathy. Jimmy LaRich, um, Harley was, Harley was in juniors, but he wasn't winning. Like he was like, he was still kind of like young. And I mean, I think he was probably like 13 or 12 or something. He was really young, you know, but, um, Rhett Watley, um, Philip Combs, uh, that was like right when Reed Hansen started wake skating too. Like he was, he would still show up to like a wakeboard event and ride and probably make finals. Yeah, um, make podium. Read podium. I remember the uh, first nationals I announced was in 2005 up in Wisconsin. I think Reed was on the the wakeboard podium for yeah. that for that event. I think you but were up probably, on that podium he too. Probably wake, he probably wake skated too, but was he was like focusing on wake skating, but probably podiumed on. Wait, wait, was this Portland? No, this was in Wisconsin. This was actually pre Reed wake skating. Okay. Yeah, this I, is, I somehow remember a podium in Portland. It was me, Reed, and. Rhett Watley. I just thought it was, I mean, like, I, I remember Reed just, obviously he's an incredible wake skater, but he was still, he would come out of nowhere and get on the podium. Like, it he's, was crazy. It, it runs in the blood. And the Hansons, yeah. they're, they're, they're watermen. I mean, they're, For sure. I know their family up in Wisconsin, they're show skiers, and they're insane how good they are, but... You know, don't re- let Reed, uh, for the listeners, fool you out there. The guy is is an insanely good, the best wake skater of all time, probably. But he is a very talented wakeboarder as well. He's smart. He's a smart wakeboarder. He can get on the podium. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you, you, he was probably a thorn in your rear end for a oh, long, yeah. long time. But yeah, no. So it was, you know, it was like Rathy, Jimmy, um, myself, Danny Thollander. Um, it was a good crew of us that that kind of broke out within a year or two of each other into the pro scene. And a lot of these guys are still competing nowadays. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in 2007, did you, now did you take rookie of the year or was that? I did. Yeah. Okay. So Rathy must've, uh, the year before me, the year before you. Okay. So in 2007 rookie season, uh, do you remember any of the events from that year, how you finished? Yeah. So I, I just, I'd won the junior tour. That was like my, my goal was to win the junior tour, then turn pro, hopefully win rookie of the year. And then, you know, see how I fare against the pro riders. Um, and I just came off an incredible season in juniors, won the rookie of the year, like I wanted to do. And, uh, I ended up getting like quite a lot of podiums on the pro tour that year. Um, I think I finished fourth overall, but had like a couple thirds, a second, like I was up there at pretty much every event. Um, but I never won a contest until 2009. I won the U S nationals. And that was like, after I won rookie of the year, um, I didn't even really care about podium. I mean, I cared about podium, but I, uh, I just expected that kind of, it was, it was like this weird, I mean, I was so used to winning and, and being on the podium in juniors. It was like this like, weird expectation I had. Um, obviously I was nervous and intimidated going up against the pro riders but once i went through a few events and kind of got into the rhythm it was it felt very similar so 
then it was I wanted to just win one pro event. You know, I at least had to win one, and uh, that happened in 2009. I won U.S. Nationals. Yeah, and I, I remember the U.S. Nationals. Was that the same year that I cut all my hair off for the charity? Yeah, it is actually. Two th- I always thought that was 08. But uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I remember. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard for me to remember all those years. But those are good years. Yeah, so I mean that was that must have been a pretty special win at the nationals. It was, it was. I mean, obviously my first major pro win. Um, it meant more to me than a lot of junior junior wins, and and it was really special. You know, and especially the fact that I remember uh, so vividly Philip Sovin, Rathy, Jimmy, and I and I think Bob and Jay, the whole Sovin clan was up there, but dumping like a bucket of water on you and I was I was next to Danny Harf got third and Andrew Agassin got second so obviously both past champions and people I've always looked up to and then I got my buddies pouring ice water on me it was my first win it was just it was huge you know so I was pumped now aside from like winning contests are there any contests over the years that really stick out as like great contests to you yeah I was um I was always a huge fan of like the the Red Bull Wake Lab and and uh, Wake Open and all that. It was just it was something so different, you know. Being a you know a primor- primarily a, a boat rider and doing that same kind of rhythm of contest for year on year out. I was it was nice to have something new, you know. It was every year you expected the same thing. There would be the Nationals, the Worlds, the Pro Tour, and you know a handful of other one off contests that year. So to to have companies come in and start doing. Um, just, you know, different things like a breath of fresh air kind of stuff was, was really fun. And then it was also that time in my career that when I was in the pros that I could, uh, start traveling overseas and doing a lot of overseas events and stuff. I remember specifically the, the, um, the world series event in Brazil was always a huge, uh, super fun event for me. So now was that a super fun event because the contest was a great time or was it the off the water uh, festivities? Yeah, man, the contest was great. No, (laughs) no, it was, it really was. But the, the whole, that whole event was amazing. You know, they would have a huge after party for everyone, the whole, all the riders and they tread everyone so good there. So it was just like, it was that the first time that I ever, you know, broke away from the family and got to go have fun and, and ride. And, you know, it was great. How do you feel about the contest scene today? Um, you know, it's, it's so different now. I feel as if all the, all the boat companies have started to like branch off and do their own series where it was always just, you know, the, the pro tour and it was just one boat that pulled it and everyone rode it and it didn't matter who you were sponsored by. Everyone just knew that that was the contest you were doing. Um, but now I feel, uh, most of the boat companies are are trying to do their own series. Um, and I think it's good, but it's also just a strange transition. I think a lot of riders feel obligated to only attend their sponsor's events and and i can see that i can see why you would do that but um uh it's also you know i think it's important to uh stick together it's just a small industry and um if if everyone would you know stick together and do all the events it would be bigger and better for everyone i think so so what's your ideal event um i I really like the events these like nationals this year they did um at at an event where there was a boat lake and a cable lake so you could ride boat and cable in the same event um so it brings brings the best of both worlds and it brings in more people more spectators is more to offer so all of the events that um like wake open you had so many different disciplines of wakeboarding you know i like i like variety um so an event that can can add all different types of disciplines of the whole of the entire sport i, I think that's probably best for everyone because not only does it bring uh more athletes in like earlier we were talking there's just specific rail riders nowadays that don't ride boat but uh they have no chance to go to a national title or world title, but they do now because they have these 
massive companies like the WWA that are hosting events that that allow for them to be involved. So I, I love that. Now, would you rather have a huge crowd or better conditions? That's a t- it really is a tough one um, because, you know, I've definitely walked away from events before and been like, man, that, that sucked. There was no one there. There was no crowd. But then I've also walked away from events being like, wow, those were perfect conditions. You know, like it's, it's not, it's not every time you get both of that at one event. Obviously that would be ideal for everyone. But, um, you know, I've always been a bit of a showman and I would love a, a, a solid crowd and, you know, we're, we're professional athletes. We should be able to perform in any condition. And I mean, that's what it is. So you, uh, you can't, you can't complain. Beggars can't be choosers. So if there's a bad condition that day, I mean, you got to make the most of it and go for it. So, uh, if there's a good crowd, it, it definitely brings up all the, you know, the atmosphere of the whole place. It makes you feel better. It makes your riding better. I mean, I, I think that's uh, best for everyone. You should have you should have been in, uh, in a ski show, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you've been in my ski <laughs> I've show, been right? In the barefoot line. You've been well. You you also uh, were at the Aquanut ski show in yeah, Twin Lakes. Yeah, uh, you did a little doubles shred with with Jim, right? A lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it was a real good time, <laughs> if, if I can remember correctly. You, know, you you didn't make the Fox Wake the Dead tour this summer, did you? I didn't make this one. Yeah, they were they were kind of all over the place and changing up with uh, where they were going or who they were bringing in. So it was just one of those ones I didn't make it to. That uh, that's a bummer. But next year and hopefully I get invited back. That was for uh, sure. That was a really good one. Now, although you have had your fair share of great contest finishes, I think some of your adventures outside of events are what people will remember about you. Uh, some of my favorite moments of yours include insane locations that you've ridden, and one that stands out uh, the most to me is riding those glaciers or uh, those ice caps with Parks Bonifay. Can you talk a little bit about that trip? Absolutely. Yeah, no, um, I think that in my career of wakeboarding, this will stand out the most to me as well. Um, and it was it was pretty amazing. It truly, I, I would say that I did, so I did two iceberg trips. I did one... I think it was back in like right when I turned pro, so like 08 or 09, um, me and Parks went to Newfoundland, Canada, St. John's, and Red Bull had come to us and they were like, hey, we've got this idea, all these icebergs break off of Greenland, they float down to St. John's, they get beached, let's go do a mission out there and try to, to wakeboard on them. So we were, I mean, we were like, oh yeah. How cold is it? Well, it wasn't that cold up there at the time. We went in the summer and it, outside it wasn't that cold. However, you are swimming and are in just fresh glacier melt. So it, the water's freezing. We wore dry suits and stuff, but um, it was this kind of this incredible, uh, mind-blowing trip that we didn't know much about. But while we were there on this on this specific trip to Newfoundland, um, like we did no research. Parks and I were just like, sweet, yeah, we're in, let's do it. We did no like, re- research on it at all. And we get there and we're we go up to one of these icebergs and it was huge, a massive iceberg. Um, and we, we got up really close to it, touching it, feeling it, seeing what the surface is like. And this like tinny boat comes flying out of nowhere and he's screaming, waving his hands, freaking out. And we're like, what's up? What's up? He's like, you guys are going to die. Get out of here. We're like, what? He's like, I've been traveling. He'd been traveling, following this iceberg, this particular iceberg. He's been following it from Greenland, the whole, his, the whole lifespan of this iceberg. And he had estimated that it was going to, I guess the the pressure and the heat was some sort of perfect storm will happen and they can just blow up like disintegrate um and like splinter into pieces. Is this true? This is true. 
I mean, you've actually done some scientific research behind this. Well, I just believe or this guy. Or you just believe this guy I in a little tin boat. He, he sounded so legit, and he looked okay. legit. Okay. Um, but he's basically saying this thing's going to break apart um, today, and if you guys are within, I don't know, whatever, 200, 300 feet, 400 feet of it, you're going down. And we're all, you're crazy, come on. And so we just go for it. Me and Parks are going. No, but now these, these, these icebergs or these ice caps are also known to flip over right? right because the tops of them well a piece will break off and so it's it's balanced where it's sitting so if a piece breaks off it gets unbalanced and it'll start to roll so basically that's what this guy's saying that it's going to break apart it's going to roll and this thing this thing was massive i mean i think it was like a hundred foot tall it was really really big um and i go first get a few shots and i whip in to go pull parks but josh San- josh sanders was with us on this trip and he sucked the rope up in the jet ski and Parks is freaking out because he's, you know, he's was like in the in the zone, wanting to go. The jet ski's kind of like disabled, and a huge piece of the iceberg breaks off right where we were riding. Like honestly, we were, we'd found this like perfect. Seat. So this guy in the tinny is right. He was well, he was right to some extent. We didn't, I mean, we didn't just disintegrate, but this piece falls off. But the whole thing starts to roll, and for a second, everyone's kind of holding their breath, like, oh no, what's going to happen here? Um, it sends like a kind of a huge roller. It wasn't like a wave, but a big roller and it washes the jet ski away and it's just kind of chaos. We all jump in the, in the chase boat and we just go straight out to sea. Like it was pretty hectic for a second. Anything, everything calmed down and we all got to go back and it was all good. But and you got the shot. You got the shot. Actually, Josh Sanders got the shot. <laughs> right. So, okay. So, so the photos that I'm thinking of come from the second uh, yeah. iceberg trip. Correct. And that was in South America? Yeah, that was in Patagonia, Argentina. And this was by far the best trip I've ever been on. Um, again, Parks and myself went. This time it was just the two of us. Um, and we stayed down there. We flew into a place called El Calafate in the southern tip of Argentina. And then we took this ferry... Um, it was all it was on fresh water, but it's on uh, there's tons of glaciers that come down in in this mountain range, and we take this this uh, this ferry and we're to, we've got on the ferry we have our towboat we have a car and then all the riders or not the riders but me and Parks and then the film crew and all it's not much of us and we're going to this remote hotel in the middle of nowhere next to this glacier that when the icebergs break off they flow down and we can just you know find one that would or would not be good. Um, and it's just the most horrendous crossing. We're, we're going through this place called the Devil's Restriction or the Bottle ne- Devil's Neck or something. And it's, it's basically this tunnel of wind that just gets forced between these two mountains. And we're dodging icebergs. And, and the, it looks like the boat's going to sink at first. And we're kind of like, oh, no, what have we gotten ourselves into this time? Like, this is this is next level. And we finally get there. The ne- it looks like bad weather. The next day we wake up. It's just perfect conditions. And there's hundreds of icebergs to choose from. Perfect conditions. And we just have probably one of the most fun days I've ever had. And Parks and myself just ripped around looking for different icebergs, finding, you know, ones that are resemble a kicker, ones that resemble rails, one that just are funky different shapes we can get into. And, you know, it still is dangerous. They do break apart and roll and stuff. But uh, luckily we had no incidents. Um, and the following day was, again, perfect conditions. And we just had best time, got incredible shots. I actually, me and Parks both skinned it. We didn't wear a wetsuit, um, freezing cold. This time it was actually pretty cold outside because you're, not far away from Antarctica, really, realistically. Um, cold water and cold air. So we both decided to skin it just because we, that was like our ultimate regret from the first trip in Canada. It was like, man, we should, for the photo, we should have just, you know, gone. Board Instead sh- of those goofy, yeah, the goofy bags or whatever, bag suits. Board shorts and a t shirt. How cool would that look? Or like a long suit. That would look cool too. Well, you know, you only get one chance, really. Well, we got two, but <laughs> <laughs> right. bl- bl- blew it on the first one. 
Um, so this one we took full advantage, freezing cold, but it was totally worth it. And we, I mean, incredible trip. You know, you're, you're, you're talking about, uh, getting like perfect conditions, man. And it seems like with a lot of your trips, you've been pretty lucky with that. And I'm specifically talking about, uh, a trip that you took this summer and, I had a good conversation with one of the guys that were, were on the trip with you. I'm talking about your trip to your homeland in Scotland this past summer. You know, I heard that you guys did a ton of stuff all over Scotland or in some different areas, but what was most impressive was it's the North Sea, right? Yeah. And the North Sea is just known for howling winds and just horrible, horrible conditions. And you guys went out there and were able to get some some pretty epic days, right? Absolutely, yeah. This was one of the most memorable trips. Um, so where were you? Well, the whole point of the trip was kind of a coming home. I'm from Scotland, so it was a coming home trip to Scotland. How um, hard is it for you to not speak with your Scottish accent? I don't have one. I you th- do? I bl- no. I, so you were born there. I was born there, but I think just America and grade school just changed me. I'm. I'm You're I'm, holding it in. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. You're you, you're really not holding that accent I'm really, in. I'm really not. Well, you know, I believe you. <laughs> I'm not sure I do, there, but there, there might be some in there a little little down deep. I've if heard I, if, it. If I have a couple of drinks, I might be. Yeah, I was gonna say. I I've, <laughs> after some. What's what's your drink of choice in Scotland? A Scottish whiskey. I, I don't mind. I don't mind a whiskey. No, I don't. <laughs> so yeah, after a couple of Scottish whiskeys, I've definitely heard you. Uh, okay. I've I've heard. Well, it's, the, some, it's somewhere deep down there. It's it's in there. So so let's talk about the trip. Where were you? Right. So. I had this idea to do a trip back. I mean, there's not much wakeboarding in Scotland by any means. And I had a whole, uh, this idea to do a coming home trip. And I wanted to start in the Southern um, point of Scotland and just work our way up. And there's incredible, uh, they call them locks, which are basically lakes and incredible locks. And uh, you know, there's castle ruins on all of them. There's Loch Ness. There's this iconic stuff everywhere. Um, and it's just untouched and it's, it's, it's pretty beautiful. You know, when the weather, when the weather's right, it's beautiful, but, Hardly often is the weather right. It's you just, actually rode on Loch Ness also? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, what we did, I'm from the, the Highlands up in a place called Ullapool, which is way up there. Uh, we started in Glasgow um, and just worked our way up uh, and did Loch Ness. And it was myself, Mossy Pifferetti, uh, Robbie Hulhan, and Josh Twalker. Um, and we towed a boat all the way up and we, we, we stopped at a bunch of locations on the way. Um, but the most memorable would be hitting my hometown of Ullapool which is way up there, way north, which means worse weather. Um, and it's, I mean, it's never, never good. But for some reason, everything aligned. And this was when we were in the North Sea. And basically, my the village I'm from is kind of in this little cove. But when you turn the corner and get away from the village, it's a straight pass all the way out. It opens up into the North Atlantic. Um, and there's a bunch of islands dotted all over the place, but it, it doesn't provide protection you know it's just it's my dad used to dive there and he says it's known as it's the worst sea he's ever been in like really really rough crazy crazy and it can it can change so quick you know the the wind will just change and storms will come out of nowhere um so we i was always kind of timid to even go past that point we rode there for a couple of days we spent like three or four days there but we were just stuck to the cove which is where it was calm and nice um but still cold and deep water and we're getting even though the weather wasn't perfect the first few days we had like rain and and some sun and wind but it you know, it looks kind of dramatic with all that, that kind of backdrop, you know, it was real beautiful, like green hills behind us. And so one day we're riding at, at sunset and Josh Twelker's riding and we kind of start to see the sun come from behind the clouds and it's becoming this nice sunset and it's still calm in the cove where we're at, but we get out to the point where we could take a right and go out into this, this strait that leads out into the ocean. 
And we turn the corner and it's a sheet of glass. And I've never seen this. And I don't think that anyone in the village had ever seen it, maybe once in their lifetime kind of thing. And I turn and I, I kind of signal it to the chase wit driver and just point straight out. It's like, let's just keep going, see what happens. And we drive straight out. I mean, I think we went, I think 20 miles straight offshore. It was perfectly glass. And the sunset, as they do, just get better and better and better. It was, the, the sun got lighter and brighter and we just alternated. Everyone was on it. The chase boat was on it. Um, the videographer was on it. The photographer was on it. Every rider. I don't think anyone fell. Like Josh was going first and he just hammered out a bunch of stylish tricks. We whipped him into the boat. Have you ever seen someone where they turn the boat and you whip him to the back platform to stay yeah, dry? Yeah, of course. Everyone was on it. Whipped him back in. Um, I think uh, Robbie was next, already in his suit, straight off. Boom. And we just went 20 miles straight off in the most perfect conditions with like the most serene backdrop. And it's coming out in uh, the next Alliance wakeboard mag, I believe. There's a two-part um, mag so like coming out. like November, December? Well, it'll or be, December, it'll be January, January, February, because gotcha. it's that break. So it'll be the first one of 2016. How, how that crew, I mean, how do you pick that crew? You got, you got Twelker from the West Coast, who's, I mean, he's a great guy, but he's definitely not a part, you know, he's, he's not over here in Florida. He's not hanging out with you all the time. You got Robbie Holohan, who's a, a youngster up and comer and then Massey Piffretti, obviously your, your Ronix teammate, but how does this crew end up in Scotland together? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it comes down to, um, first of all, whether or not one of the riders wants to go second of all, are they available? Um, but I, you know, I wanted, I never really spent time with Josh. Did you, know, you pick this team I, or this I, crew? I worked very hardly to pick this team. Um, obviously, Alliance wanted certain guys, but um, you know it had to be a, a an agreement. You know, I, I also wanted those guys too, but it had to be. We all had to agree, basically. Um, we went through a bunch of guys that some guys didn't have time to go or contests or whatever, and um, I, I've never really gone on a trip with Josh and. He ended up being like him and I are really good friends now because we ne we never really traveled together, but we've always been to contests, but never really hung out. So for for Josh and I to go, I wanted like a real stylish kind of West Coast guy to come. Um, I wanted an up and coming uh, Robbie type guy to come, and then uh, Mossy obviously is like this crazy up and coming. Really, well, that, I, mean, I wouldn't even say he's up and coming because he's like one of the best. He's there. Massey's Massey yeah. is Massey's like the guy who is literally next yeah like he's he's right there he's the sure. guy that as soon as he lands for sure in the contest everything that he lands in his practice he's yeah. gonna win no he's insane and so for, to have someone like there just kind of rounded out the whole the whole group and it was crazy for for me just it was so memorable you know and the fact that uh i kind of planned it it was my first trip that i like really planned it normally i'm just used to like sponsors tell me hey we got you a ticket here you go on there we're doing a photo shoot for this and you show up and you do your thing and that's it like i was planning everything and organizing hotels and b&bs and making sure the boat was okay and tied up and more well, so and neat is that the whole thing is is been documented yeah, so i mean you're yeah. gonna have this trip forever it'll be cool and it's it's the first of its kind in scotland and i'm from there so it just means a lot so what do you think the chances of us doing an event there are? Did you guys did you guys introduce wakeboarding to some new people while you were there? Well, yeah, we definitely did. And I hope that this magazine article makes, uh, you know, a big push on it. And it just, you know, that's what we're all about. We're all in the same industry and uh, just trying to bring wakeboarding to uh, bigger and better places and show the world what we can do. Well, I think at the end of the day, if, if we all want to keep getting paychecks, number one, but number two... It, that's number two. I think number one, if we want if we want uh, new boards and boats to continue coming out every year and our love to, to be able to continue going, we're just going to have to grow the sport. Got to spread it. Ex expo expose it to more and more people, I think. So, 
Uh, let's get to tricks. I believe you were the first guy in a contest to do a 3-2-1, which is a 360 rewind backside 180. Am I mistaken? Uh, it's funny because I heard you say this earlier and I, I, I didn't think that, but now thinking back, I think I might, might have been. I think it was in Brazil because this is like, I remember Bob did one off the double up and I was trying them, but Bob had just landed one. It was on film. He put it out on YouTube or something. But then I think like the next weekend I learned it and then could do it off the wake, but I, I could only do it into the flats. I couldn't do it small like from on the wake. So I had to go, had to go in the flats and I'd landed one in Brazil like at the following weekend. So I don't know if I was the first, but definitely one of the first. It seems like that the, the rewind tricks are starting to trend a little bit right now. And it also seems, and I think that you were one of the first guys who was successfully doing these rewind tricks, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, definitely that one behind the boat was, was quite a while ago, but then started doing them off the kicker, like uh, toe side, front side. I think uh, Daniel Grant was kind of the main innovator of, well, not maybe not innovator, but definitely innovator. Cause he well, did. I'm, he, I'm actually, I'm talking more boat wise, but yes, okay. you're right. I, I, I definitely agree that I've seen Daniel Grant doing yeah. some big stuff, rewind wise cable, but for boat for sure. Cause I, I know for a fact, Bob did one off the double up and I think he did it at OWC with Mike Ferraro, like kind of a long time ago. And I remember thinking in my head, like, that's got to be possible. It's got to be possible. And then I saw him do it. And uh, I learned one off the wake. And then since then, you know, all all the boys can do it. Mossy's getting, Mossy's being real innovative with them right now. I've seen him do. He's doing three to three. He's doing three to three. I saw him the other day do a Tootsie Roll rewind. Basically the world's hardest front flip, front roll. Wow. Yeah. That's, Mind blown. It's, it's so crazy. Like, how do you learn the trick? I mean, because it physics wise it's not supposed to happen right. you know like that's you, you think about how long water skiing wakeboarding toad water sports in general has been around and you know th nobody ever thought about doing this before i know i think that's what's so impressive about the trick is to the to the average spectator it just looks impossible it's like it mind blown blows their minds well um, i think it is kind of <laughs> it almost is impossible so right. what what's the what's the key what's the tip what's the hint behind it um well like i said for me I, c I could never do them small like i couldn't do them wake to wake i just I, I i couldn't do it um it's all about line tension obviously so you, you obviously want to initiate your first 360 um as fast as possible but the problem with that is getting the handle and getting your rotation down and having the handle um and then obviously stopping your and, rotation right and using that line tension to stop and kind of you kind of want to do like a shifty like um i used to do this trick Back in the day, I would always do it um, on cl on like clinics and demos, where I'd kind of go uh, backside shifty and then switch frontside shifty and then go backside 180. So it would, like I'd kick my board twice and then go backside 180, and it's basically the same principle, I guess. Um, so frontside 360, you kind of want to stop and do a shifty and then counter that to your backside 180. Boom! So there it is, guys. <laughs> Trick tips from Adam Arrington. And to my knowledge, you're also the first and maybe the only to land. A double scarecrow, is that true? Um, I th I think Bob did one, didn't he? Bob did one too. So Bob always, Bob right there with you, huh? Well, Bob, I think, well, I did the, I would have done the first like double crow where it's scarecrow switch front flip, whereas Bob went front roll, front roll 180. Okay, and gotcha. I think they're technically two different tricks because... I don't know. They look way different. <laughs> sure, sure. So where is your front? Where where is where can you see that that uh, the double scarecrow that you did or the or the 
modified double scarecrow. Yeah. Um, I guess you could always just Google Adam Arrington double crow. However, um, if anyone remembers, Chad Sharp used to have a website where he'd put videos out. Um, I believe it was Fun When Wet. Yeah, Fun When Wet. So he, yeah. he filmed it all. So um, it's definitely on there. Now you also, I, I read somewhere that you said you wanted to be the first to land the double crow mobe. Is that still in the cards? It is. It is. And I think um, since my double crow till now, um, there was just some time was put on hold. But now with the fact that I have the Ronix Lake to my disposal, I think that is the place where if it is to go down, will go down. Um, and to answer your question, yes, I still want, want to do that. And I still think it's possible. So you, you feel like you're still progressing as a rider? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, things, things can get crazy at times and you know, there's, there's always this balance of sponsor obligations to what you want to do. Um, and, uh, you just got to manage your time and your trips and your tricks and, everything in the right way um but like everything uh there comes you know any learning curve of any sport you do there's plateaus and then learning curves and progression and degression and it's just a crazy roller coaster of uh events but for sure definitely so what kind of tricks have you been working on lately um or have you been working on any well, tricks I, it's funny i've actually been uh trying a lot of rewind stuff um obviously right now it's like the, the off season i've been coming off a crazy contest season it's nice to just kick back and relax but i really want to um i've been riding a bunch with langley and i really want to this winter i'm actually kind of excited to put a wetsuit on i kind of feel like it's it's almost like putting a, a full body brace on you know right. like a knee brace for your body but um i definitely want to um i want to i've been motivated to try some 1260s after dowdy landed one off the wake um i definitely want to start filming some stuff at the ronix lake and uh, working on some rail projects um, and kicker stuff, um, but also some different uh, rewind stuff on the boat. Ronix, um, you know, you guys, your social media for Ronix has has been insane. I know uh, Eric Ruck has been behind a lot of that stuff, and I'm seeing a lot of new uh, Instagram clips coming out. I'm seeing a lot of great photos coming out. Uh, Facebook, uh, you know, little edits and whatnot. But a lot of people are wondering, like, when is when is the Ronix team going to put out a proper team video? Yeah, no. If, well, first of all, the, the the boys have been killing it. You know, Ruck has been so on it with social media, and uh, Todd Watson has been really working hard with, you know, progressing editing and filming, and and just being a. It's it's hard these days to have a videographer and just have someone at your disposal and have someone that will be willing to film. So Todd's been killing it with his presence there and his, you know, motivation to film. But, uh, I think we're just, we've definitely talked about it and it's something that will happen for sure. Um, uh, um, I believe it is long overdue. Um, but I think we're just trying to get all our eggs in the, in the right basket before we, we begin. We're kind of just going into a, a major, um, overhaul at the Ronix Lake where we're ch changing a whole lot of the stuff up and trying to get some fresh stuff out there. And I think once we accomplish that and everyone's pumped and excited and it's like a, breath of fresh air to the lake i think we're gonna start putting some stuff together for sure i don't want to start any rumors but i heard i've heard some uh some stuff that there's there's some talks with uh sassy tech and there's going to be some some really cool new stuff coming out pretty soon yeah there'll be a, a u.s first of the first so uh, here soon so is it a secret or is it um you know i don't know i didn't really ask that question so okay. I'm, I'm not gonna say but all right cool it, it will be I'm sure you'll see stuff. Stay tuned the next <laughs> couple of weeks because it's we've been 
cranking out there so it'll be it'll be up before we know it it so. sounds like there's been a lot of, a lot of hard work going on over there at the lake oh, so yeah i'm oh, yeah. looking forward to it yeah it'll be good moving into the future uh, what kind of goals do you have wakeboarding wise for yourself yeah you know I, I i was fortunate enough to do a lot of traveling this year and do all the events that i wanted to do i think um you know for next year i, I, I haven't put out a, like a web edit um of any kind recently in the past couple Gosh, I don't even remember the last one I released, but I really want to want to focus on a a major web edit. Who just, do you want to work with? Uh, I want to work with Russell Spencer. Um, we've had a lot of talks at Surf Expo, and uh, you know he just finished up that project with Mossy. Project. What do you X. think of Massey's video? It was incredible. I know, but like, okay, I thought so too. I watched the whole entire thing. I thought yeah. it was uh, amazing. The the one thing that like some people are that I've heard some people be like is oh, oh the length of it is kind of long. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, like I'm kind of torn between it because, to be honest with you, it didn't seem like it was over seven or eight minutes, right? Because it was so banger filled, right? But it, I don't know, you know, it seems like everything is going to be is going to like much shorter bursts. Yeah, these for days. sure. Everyone's. I feel like uh, you know the the whole tech technological world is changing, and the attention span of 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 what is good or is not good is 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 there, obviously. Um, and I agree. There's been a lot of videos that are too long. However, I think Mossy's video was was good. If I mean, if if it's edited good, if there's if it's captivating, why not do an eight minute video? You know, if it's uh, I mean, what else? Why why not sit there for eight minutes on a Sunday and watch a super cool video? But um, no, I I want to work with Russell on a video, and I haven't put out something um in a while, and I want to work, you know, specifically on that versus uh, training for a contest. Um. And also, like we said before, hopefully there's some some filming going on with the Ronix video, and uh, I just like to kind of film and work on some new tricks. All right, well, jumping to another subject, and no pun intended here, but I know for a while you were pretty serious about skydiving. Are you still jumping out of planes at all? I'm not. I don't think, I think it's been about two years since I've jumped. You had a seriously close call on one of your jumps, and mm -hmm. I vaguely remember you showing up to an event pretty pretty well roughed up. Any chance you telling us the story? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I showed up to that event roughed up, it would have been a lot better than the way I, I was day of. Um, I made a really stupid mistake uh, trying to show off, and I landed downwind um, really fast and on an active runway, and basically equivalent in my assuming that I hit the concrete going probably, you know, 50 miles an hour, and... Uh, got pretty beat up. I didn't break anything, but I hit, I hit so hard that like for maybe, maybe a solid four or five days afterwards, I couldn't really walk. And you know, I was extremely sore and stiff, but other than that, I had some pretty good road rash all over my back and arms and stuff. And, um, just kind of, I mean, that wasn't the, de that wasn't the determining thing that's like slowed me down skydiving. I still jumped a bunch since then, but that definitely rattled me and put things into perspective and wasn't fun. <laughs> Yeah, and that that could have gone a lot worse, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so who who were you jumping with on that particular day? Uh just my friend Bobby. Um, you know him, Bobby Shirley. He's actually my roommate. Um, he's a pilot. <laughs> right. Cool, man. Well, obviously, we're glad that uh, that you you came out of that one all right. But... Yeah, yeah, me too. So hey, so what else are you doing to to kind of uh, keep yourself busy these days aside from wakeboarding? Um, well, wakeboarding, wake, I've been doing a lot of wake surfing with Langley, um, staying in the gym and just, uh, other than that, just 
living, just been hanging. My uh, my niece is uh, three now, and she's just learned how to swim, so been uh, doing some swimming, swimming with the fam. As far as um, the future for you goes, post wakeboarding, I mean, uh, do you do you foresee yourself riding pro for you know? 10, 15 more years or what? You know, I, I would love to. And that's, you know, it's, that's the dream, but, um, you never know what can happen and you never know where life takes you. And yeah, uh, so what's the reality? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, either way, I'm going to stay in the industry. Um, I want to ride for as long as I can, for as long as my body will let me, um, post riding plans. What do you got? Um, you know, I, I think right now I'm just kind of focusing on, and on riding and, and more specifically filming and, and some tricks. Um, and I'm just going to kind of put all my energy into that and cross the, the other bridge when I get there. But, uh, I think, you know, you learn this industry so well being in it and being in it for so long at such a young age that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there and, um, either way, I love the sport and I love the industry and would love to stay in it my whole life. You see yourself getting into the family business, maybe, uh, doing some deep diving. No, I don't, I don't think I can handle that. It's pretty, uh, that's pretty next level. Hey, so what's your plan for this winter? Um, I'm going to be home, actually. Uh, I'm going to be home as much as I can. Let's do some wake surfing, man. I want to do some uh, shoe skiing. Yeah. You know what? Check this out. I'm going to be announcing the 13th Slider Spectacular over at OWC. Should we do a throwback? Well, if I can remember correctly at the first ever Slider Spectacular, you took my shoe skis out. And did a demo, and I don't think the cable riders appreciated it back then. No, and this was back to the whole time when Mike was telling me I needed to learn air tricks because it's the next big thing. And the pro men event was all only air tricks, and yes. I went and did a gainer off the kicker on your shoe skis. That's they, right. They weren't pumped. Well, let's let's get another pair of shoe skis. That's um, whittle some. I believe it's November. Yeah, we can whittle them. I believe it's November nineteenth which is a Saturday or 20th. So it's or, coming up. It's coming up, dude. You got to be there. I'm going to announce it. It's my first time ever actually announcing it. Now, I do remember the first ever Slider Spectacular, you and me, well, my crew and I were all out there because you were probably riding in it. Mm -hmm. I, I would, For sure. I would suspect. And I remember we had a big orange uh, cone that we were heckling everybody mm, with. A lot of heckling, right in that corner too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Back in the days when we used to do those um, tailgate parties on the other side of the lake. So that was... Uh, November 21st okay. is when it's going to be. November 21st, 2015. Be I'll, there. I'll be there. You better be, man. I'm going to hold you That'll to that. That'll be fun. That'll be really fun. I'm going to, I'm going to find some, uh, I'm going to find some shoe skis for you to, to come out and thank you. Yeah. It'll be a nice little throwback, but I'm looking forward to it and it should be a really, really good time. And, uh, yeah, this winter look, look forward to hopefully getting out there and maybe doing a little ripping with you, buddy. Yeah, man, I'll be here. It's nice to be home uh, in the winter. Like I said, I'm getting kind of excited to throw on a wetsuit and uh, just, you know, get into it, get after it. Yeah, a staycation. It's mm -hmm. all, you know, everyone's always like, oh, what are you going to do when the season's over? It's like, um, I'm going to spend as much time <laughs> at home and sleep in my bed as many times as I can. It means a lot when you're gone throughout the year, you know. It's, yeah. it's nice to be home for a bit. Absolutely. Um, all right, Adam, before we uh, finish this thing up, uh, sponsors, family, any mentions in general you want to do? Yeah, obviously, thanks to my sponsors, um, Fox, Tyga, Ronix, Performance. Um, thank you, Dana, for having me. Glad to round out the mini mansion oh, podcast. Yeah. Um, and my family, of course, you know, couldn't couldn't be here without them. So and everyone listening, thank you guys. This has been fun. Uh, social media. Um, it is Adam at Adam Erring. Wait, 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 wait. Do it in your best Scottish accent. I can't. Okay. This is it. 
This is all you get. You need another beer. <laughs> or maybe a whiskey. Uh, Instagram, I am at Adam underscore Arrington. One, I believe. Gosh, I don't even know my own Instagram name. Adam, Adam, Adam underscore Arrington. Adam underscore Arrington. And then Twitter, I am at Adam Arrington one. That's it. At Adam Arrington one. Boom. There it is. Adam. Dude, thank you thank so you, much, Dana. man. This yeah. has been cool. It was cool. Thank you. Did you have fun? Had a lot of fun. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. And you know, yeah. this is episode 29 and then hopefully uh, maybe 29 episodes from now you can come back on and and uh, and do so- one more. Hey, uh, before we go here, the bust. This is... <laughs> I thought I was going to get away without it. Yes. People <laughs> people are probably starting to wonder what this thing is all about. I have a, uh, a bust. You're like, what is that? I have a, a bronze... I don't sculpture. know. Sculpture of your face. This is actually funny. This is a, uh, yeah, like you said, a bronze sculpture. But when we first moved to America, my dad had been injured diving and he wanted to start a business. <laughs> and this was it. It was bronze head sculptures and me being test subject number one of three of my family. And uh, gosh, how old would I be there? Six or seven or yeah, something. Yeah, you look, this is a young Adam. This is my little baby bust. And, um, yeah, this it's you're it's, not going to take that away from me now, no, are you? No, no. I clean. I helped my dad clean out the garage a couple months back, and I found my bust, brought it home. Jimmy loved it. Jimmy took the bust. Langley hated it. Uh, I thought we put it in Ruck's yard in his garden where he's been doing gardening, um, but I guess not. But somehow, yeah, somehow you got it. You showed up at my house, and here's the bust. I don't know how you got it, but somehow you got it. and It's been gracing the uh, the podcast. So yeah, we we pretty much have the bust with us at any podcast that's that's recorded here in the mini mansion. You usually try to. <laughs> Uh, this bust has taken a photo with Eric Perez. How special is that That's for incredible. you? Yeah. What did he think of the bust? Yeah, he, he was he was into it. So, we so the bust, <laughs> your your bust has been in more photos with the first ever wakeboard world champion than you have. That's that's true. Yes, that's impressive. That is very impressive. Adam, I thank you so much, my friend. Thanks a lot, Dana. This has been really cool. All right, guys, uh, it's a special night, a sad night. Our last time recording here in the mini mansion, but it's time to grow. Time to turn a page. Time to, well, move the operation. We'll do just that, and we'll continue to bring you the top names in Toad Water Sports here on the Golden Mike Podcast for as long as we can. Keep supporting, keep listening, keep spreading the word, spread the love. But right now, hang tight, because I'll be right back to close things out here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Nothing's better than paddling with friends and enjoying a day on the water. And that's why you need to check out Hungry Boards SUP. Hungry Boards go the extra mile and are passionate about their work and the sport of paddle boarding. They strive to create stronger, higher quality boards at a better value. Hungry Boards are designed to provide performance and stability to help keep you hungry for the enjoyment of SUP. Be sure to like them on Facebook and check them out at www.hungryboardssup.com. Hungry Boards, real boards for real people. Well, the closing show here at the Mini Mansion, and I think it went all right. It was Adam Arrington, my great, great guest, and we had a lot of fun. We talked about some really, really cool stuff. I'm hoping that you guys got to hear how great of a person Adam is. You know, he's... uh, uh, a young man with a very good head on his shoulders. Uh, he's had a great career so far, and from listening to him, it sounds like there's many, many more years ahead of him. 
I thank Adam for joining me here with me on my 29th episode of this Golden Mike podcast. And as I said in the episode, I look forward to hopefully having him once again on the 58th, 59th, maybe even the 60th episode. Guys, I want to hear what you think about the show as we move on to our 30th episode. Let me know your feedback. It's always welcomed and encouraged. I want to hear from you. Please shoot me a note through email. It's goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. You can also message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. I'm also on Twitter at the Dano T. Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike. I'm on Instagram and you know it at Dano T. Mano. Thank you again to Adam Arrington, my great guest. And now a few shout outs to the sponsors and the folks behind the scenes. Thank you to Performance Ski and Surf, PerfSki.com, Hydra Fenders, Hungry Boards SUP, Woodrow's, Jammy Pack, Sea Deck Marine Products, GoPuck, Logos That Pop, and Empire Sound and Lighting. That's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Daniel Lamano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.